baseline brain activity defaults to self-related processing in the brain area known as MPFCBA10, which is central to the default mode network, according to neuroscientists Drs. Meyer and Lieberman. Or this self-related processing, according to Sigmund Freud, is a libidinal complement to the egoism of the instinct of self-preservation. Are you with me? (laughs) Or another way of saying it is, we think about ourselves a lot. Or still another way of saying it is, as comedian Brian Regan warns, Beware of the clicker that's not on. (laughs) Beware of the what? Beware of the me monster. Now we got it. Beware of the me monster. Remember that? Remember that little stand-up thing? Remember how he did that? Me, 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 right? Okay, beware of the me monster. Well, I think the Apostle Paul was very familiar with the self-related processing and the me monster when he wrote Philippians chapter 2. Our text today, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, offers a solution to the me thinking about me too much of the time. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is right now and is to come. Lord, your word is a means of grace. It is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness Lord, would you do that for us this morning, right now? Let us hear from you, the living word. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Well, I think about myself a lot. I was waiting for an amen. Oh, she's holding herself back. I was waiting. I was waiting for the amen. Thank you. Thank you. But I do. I do think about myself a lot. I, I, I think about how I look. You like this shirt? <laughs> I think about how I feel. You know, am I okay? Am I, am I happy? Am I hungry? My shoulder hurts. I, I want things my way. I, I'm thinking of me when you're talking to me. I want the car in front of me to drive faster. We have, we've developed an expertise at filling ourselves up with ourselves. And the Apostle Paul is aware of that condition and that if we are thinking about ourselves, that we are not thinking about others. When there is me-mindedness, There can be this personal grabbing and grasping and hoarding and self-protection and self-promotion 
and jealousy and competitiveness and neglect. And the result then of that is counterproductive to building relationships in friends and family and business and government in, in all of our relationships. And rather than, rather than building our me-mindedness tears down and it brings disruption and disharmony and neglect and stalemate and alienation and fighting and even war and congress can't pass bills and in the book of philippians paul is dealing with this disunity in the church as we heard last week and we also heard last week that the key to standing firm is standing together in unity, and the key to unity is humility, and the key to humility is, well, do you remember Chaz's point number three from last week? Does anybody remember point number three? What was it? Steve Sermon. So here he is. Okay. So, yes, the key to humility is in today's sermon. So, the key to standing firm is standing together in unity, and the key to unity is humility, and the key to humility is to sing. Oh, but you didn't expect that, did you? The key to humility is, is sing. Now, let me explain. After warning, at Paul, after warning about being me-minded, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Verse 5 then begins with, have this mind. Now what mind? The mind of Christ. Christ who, okay, who, and then everything else in verses 6 to 11 is a description of Christ. Who? Those things. And scholars almost universally agree that verses 6 to 11 are a Christian hymn. So here's our main idea this morning. Paul uses a hymn to teach us selfless humility by rooting us in deep Christology, or in other words, sing your way to humility. Sing your way to humility. Now, this may seem like a little strange approach here to these verses, but let's just get into them and, and see, how, see how it works out. So here's our outline, which is also in your bulletin. Point number one, very simple outline. Point number one, the exhortation. Point number two, the hymn. Point number three, the application. Right? Easy to follow. Here's the first thing. The exhortation. Have the mind of Christ. The key to unity is humility. Oh, okay, humility. Cool. That's just that simple. Just be humble. Okay? Just be humble. Just have the mind of Christ. Just do that. Simple, right? Well, Christians and non-Christians alike see, they, they appreciate, and they see the benefit of humility. And they also, again, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, 
Everyone sees the problem with the selfish me monster. Me, 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 more, more, more is ugly to everyone. Amy Poehler said this, Our ego is a monster that loves to sit at the head of the table, and I have learned that my ego is just as rude and loud and hungry as everyone else's, and it doesn't matter how much you get, you are left wanting more. Correct? Yeah. Conservative uh, political thinker Edmund Burke said this, When you are discontent, you always want more, more, more. Your desire can never be satisfied, but when you practice contentment, you can say to yourself, oh yes, I already have everything that I really need. So there you go. That's all you have to do. You just have to say to yourself, I have everything I need. Just be humble. Just be, just be less, less selfish. Easy peasy, next sermon, right? Paul's exhortation, and remember, this is inspired by the Spirit of God. His exhortation is, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, the word for mind here is not just like mental activity. That's part of it, but it's more than that. It's like, it's like frame, your frame of mind or some, some versions translate it, your attitude, your attitude, or maybe, maybe your direction or your approach to life. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee suggests these questions when it comes to this word find, uh, uh, I mean mind. He said, what was important to Jesus? You think of mind, all right? What was important to Jesus? What did he cherish? On what footing were his choices made. So, how did Jesus think? Just think like that, okay? Have a Christ Jesus mind. Okay, maybe we can do that, right? Just have a Christ Jesus mind. But see, what we're going to see here is that you are not left on your own, this is not just something to be done in your own effort. Look at, look at the verse again. There is a critical component to understand here, and, and, and that is, so have your mind among yourselves, which is yours. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, in Christ is one of Paul's favorite phrases. You, know, you read the New Testament letters, his letters, he's always saying in Christ like 75 times. And the, and the term in Christ speaks of being in union with Christ. Being in union with Christ. It means, it means to belong to Christ. It means to be placed in the kingdom of Christ. It means to be in that place that position to be radically transformed by this one that you are in. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Therefore, live out the mind of Christ because you belong to him. 
And because you can, you can slay the me monster. You can put others first besides yourself. You can act with humility because he does not just give us an example that we see in verses 6 to 11. He does not just give us an example, but he energizes us. His mind, his attitude is at work in us. Paul's call to selfless humility, his exhortation for us to have the mind of Christ, it's not beyond us. It's not just out there impossible to attain. There's a means that he has given to us as we exercise this. So point one, the exhortation. Point number two is the hymn. Glory in the mind of Christ. And I'm using that word glory as, as a verb. So like, let's glory in the mind of Christ. After Paul calls us to humility, to, after he calls us to the mind that we have in Christ, he gives us a description, a, a reminder. He gives us like a compact theology of who Christ is. And in verses 6 to 11, that's, that's the who that we are given and that we're to be reminded of. Look at, look at that. Look at that. Huh? We read these verses in the Monday Bible study. And at the end of reading those verses, there was this, oh, hmm. Wow. Oh. Right? I mean, look at those words. I mean, that's who Jesus is. I mean, that, as we read those words, doesn't it just give you a chill? Doesn't it just, doesn't it just put a tingle down your spine to read those words? And if they don't, you might want to check your, your pulse. These breathtaking words are a Christian hymn, either, either composed by Paul or incorporated by Paul into his writing here. But there is a beautiful, symmetrical balance of words, a, a rhythmic flow and movement of this. It's not as easy to see in the English. It's, it's, it's a little bit easier to see in the original language. But Paul uses this hymn to teach us selfless humility by rooting us in deep, deep Christology. So here, here is the Jesus that is at work in us. Now we're going to break this down into two parts. Um, the hymn has two parts. Scholars argue all over the place about how, these, uh, how many stanzas there are and all of that. But we're just going to look at it in two parts. And uh, these are kind of obvious. So the first part is verses 6 to 8. Verses 6 to 8 is the incarnation. Then verses 9 to 11, which you can't read very well. Verses 9 to 11 
is the exaltation. So first part, incarnation, second part, exaltation. Verses 6 to 8 is what Jesus did himself. Verses 9 to 11 is what God did for Jesus. Verses 6 to 8 is from glory all the way down, down, down to being cursed. And then verses 9 to 11 is down from being cursed all the way back to glory once again. So that's kind of how it goes. So the first part is verses 6 to 8. I'm going to read it again. Who, though he was in the form of man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Okay, you can... Ooh, wow. Mm, okay. Now, notice four things here. And yes, we are being very theological. But if you're a Christian, this is like bedrock foundation to what we're about. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, listen, listen up, because this is just like... Christianity 101 in a few verses. And as we're looking at this, ask yourself, what if this was true? What if this was true? So four things. I didn't put numbers down, but in your notes, you can write down these four things. The first thing is that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. He had the form of God, or that is to say, and some translate it, he had the very nature of God. Jesus had all of the things that make God, God. Jesus had all of that. So secondly, but Jesus did not grasp after that equality. Okay? Thirdly, Instead, Jesus emptied himself. Now, you remember Chaz mentioned last week um, that he did not empty himself of his deity, but that he set aside his, his heavenliness, his heavenly glory. So he chose not to grasp, not to grab hold of his heavenly position and status, but he chose to pour himself out completely. Number four, he became a man, fully, 100% human, living as a servant, no rights, no privileges, not taking any of those heavenly advantages, but he lived as a servant until he died a humiliating death of a criminal, the curse of crucifixion. Crucifixion which was abhorred by the Jews and was abhorred by the Romans. It was actually the ultimate in human degradation. Jesus poured himself out. No one humbled him. He humbled himself. 
why? Got to think about the why, right? Because of his great love for us? Because he came to rescue us from ourselves and to forgive our sins? And now, again, for you, if you're non-Christian, you need to ask yourself, what if God would do that for me? What if that's true and he would do that for me? Now, is, is this the salvation plan that you would have expected? Would you expect that God would do it that way? Now, I'm going to pick up here on the imagination of James Boyce, and I want you to imagine the, the angels in heaven, okay? And I go, go way back before Jesus came, and now imagine the angels in heaven... And um, there's, there's like this rumor that's circulating around among the angels saying, you know, it's about to happen. Jesus, I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing that Jesus is, is, is going to do the salvation thing, that he's going to go down to earth. And they're getting excited about, you know, how is that going to happen? And as they, as, they, as they talk among themselves, you know, they're saying, um, well... I think that maybe what he's going to do is he's going to come in this blaze of glory, like this shining light, and come bursting into earth with like a, like a comet that hits the earth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or somebody else may say, oh, you know, or maybe, maybe he's going to come, you know, like as a, as a, he's going to come into Rome, and he's going to come as a mighty general, and he's going to stand right before, right before the Caesar as this mighty conquering general and go, here I am. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be that. Or maybe, you know, in a little subtler way, maybe he's going to come like as the spiritual guru. You know, he's going to come as this supernatural wisdom and all those Greek philosophers are going to go, whoa, right? So I wonder, I wonder how he's actually going to come and bring salvation. And then on Christmas Eve, the angels learn that it's not any of that. They learn that, no, he's, he, he's laying aside his, his glory and his majesty, and he's going to be born like, like anybody else is born, as a, as a little baby, and he's going to be born in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem, and, and that's how it's going to go. And the angels hear that, and they, up in the sky before the shepherds, they say, Glory to God. Wow, what a plan. From the highest height to the lowest, lowest depth. But then everything changes in verses 9 to 11. The, God the Father now steps into the hymn. And we have this, therefore... God has highly exalted him, super exalted is the word, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ooh, yeah. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about this movement like as a, you know what a catapult is? 
Everybody knows what a catapult is, right? That, you know, thing that, like that. Well, I want you to think about this in relationship to the catapult. That arm is pulled back, okay? And it goes lower and lower and lower. And it goes like as low as, as it can go. It can't go any lower. And then the arm is released and the object goes flying into the sky, right? From low, all the way flying into the sky. And so it was for Jesus. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Resurrection, ascension, then exaltation. Or as Ralph Martin says, it's the, it is finished. It's the, it's the, it's the God's amen to Jesus, it is finished. And the honor and the majesty that Jesus did not grasp is bestowed on him for all the world to see and all will bow down. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Point number one, the exhortation. Point number two, the hymn. And now, the application. Sing the hymn and pour yourself out. I have two subpoints. Can you guess what they are? Can you guess what they are? You wick? Okay. okay. The first one is what? Sing the hymn. Good. You're okay. Thank you. Thank you. Sing the hymn. In our selfishness and our, and our conceit, when the, when the me monster is raging, and I am grasping and hoarding and demanding me, 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 and more, 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 and I am trying to fill up my emptiness, when, when I have that condition and I'm doing that and I'm struggling that way, Paul gives us a hymn showing us the mind of Jesus Christ. So he gives us this hymn. And what are we supposed to do with this hymn? What? Sing it. Okay. Now this is deep theology. But this is not theology that, that collects dust buried in a doctrinal statement somewhere. It is to be sung. This is our tune, people. This is our tune. This is our heartbeat. This is our lifeline. This is what we're about. This is, this is who we are. And we gather here on Sundays and we sing to him, but we sing to one another. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Jesus, your name is power. We sing that. We sing these things over and over and over again, and we recite it, and we pray it, and we catechize it, and we remind one another of, us, of it. It is the language of our faith. It's who we are and who we're becoming. And by the way, it's really good news. 
Jesus Christ is Lord. This hymn, this truth has been given to us to root us and to ground us in something, someone that we cannot find anywhere in this world. There's no religion like this. And the Spirit uses these words that we read and sing and repeat to one another and hum and all of that uses these words to energize our transformation from me first to others first. This Christ Jesus mind is at work in us. Second subpoint. Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. What causes us What causes us to rush to Target and stand in line at 6 a.m. on Good Friday? Our struggle, our struggle with me, 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 and more, more, more is, is the emptiness in our soul. Now, Chaz pointed out last week that the word conceit in verse 3 means empty glory. Empty glory. And if we are trying to fill ourselves up, if we are trying to fill up from our emptiness, we are not thinking of others. Jesus, who was full of glory, emptied himself. He poured himself out. In fact, he poured himself into us. And if the humble Lord of glory fills us up, fills up our emptiness, if he he fills up our emptiness with himself, what are we to do with our fullness? Pour ourselves out to others. We exercise our Christ mind and let go of me and lay hold of him and pour myself out to others. What if we did that? What if we did that? What would it look like? I want to finish this morning by looking at John 13. And as I read this passage, as I read this passage, I want, I want you to think about the hymn that we just read, okay? I want you to think about that hymn. And then what I want you to do is I want you to insert yourself into the story, okay? Think about the hymn. Insert yourself into the story. And when you insert yourself into the story, I want you to insert yourself into all the characters of the story. Okay? Every character that's in this story, you put yourself in that place. So that's what we're going to do. You got that? Okay. All right, I got this slide up. I already got it up. Okay, here's, here's, here's the story. You ready? Put yourself in it. 
Think of the hymn. Jesus, he was with his disciples okay, at a supper. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put, his, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Let's sing the hymn and pour ourselves out. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We love these words. Would you work these words into our hearts? Yeah, we are prone to be so self-centered. But this mind of Christ is in us and is at work in us. Do that, Lord. And now as we sing, we sing to you. We sing to one another. Use it to build us up and to cause us to glory in who you are. Amen.